Well, good morning. Before you take your seat, would you grab your Bible, open up to John chapter 6. We're looking at verses 60 through 71. If you don't have a print Bible, there are blue hardback Bibles all throughout the room. Just grab one of those laying around. It's page 1060. I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's printed word out in front of them. We're looking at John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71, page 1060 in that blue hardback Bible if you grab one of those. Now, we're finishing up John 6 this morning, which is the longest chapter in the Gospel of John. In fact, it's the longest chapter in the entire New Testament. Uh, So it's an exciting, I love, love, love uh, these next few verses we're going to read together. Uh, They're so great, and uh, I hope you enjoy them just as much as I do, uh, because you really start to see the challenge of Jesus come out. Uh, So with that in mind, friend, let's uh, hear the reading of God's word to us this morning. This is John chapter 6, starting in verse 60 through 71. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back And no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated and keep that Bible open in front of you as we pray. Father, we pray that you would open up our minds and our hearts to see and to apply the gospel of grace to our life. And Lord, most of all, we pray that we would be true disciples. Uh, Lord, that we would trust you no matter what and that we would follow you. Lord, only your spirit can make this possible. And so, Father, would you move uh, as your spirit moves uh, in this room, calling those of us uh, who need to be called in a new way. And, Father, for those of us who are struggling, Lord, would you encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, when I read these verses in the Gospel of John, I I can't help but be reminded of a quote allegedly uh, said or spoken by Mark Twain. Uh, We can't confirm this. It's not in any of his books, but allegedly Mark Twain famously once said these words, some people are troubled by the things in the Bible they can't understand. The things that trouble me, though, are the things I can understand. You see, Mark Twain is getting at the thing that makes us struggle is often not that the Bible's not clear, it's just too painfully clear and we don't want to hear about it. And in fact, that's all about this passage in front of us. Uh, Jesus is saying hard things. And even the people, if you look in verse 60, they say, who can listen to this? This is a hard saying. And they're not saying 
that it's hard to understand what Jesus is saying. What they're saying, actually, that word hard there means harsh or offensive. It's hard to listen to this, Jesus. I'm starting to feel offended. And look at verse 61. How does Jesus respond? He says, oh, does that offend you? Well, imagine if you were to see me to ascend back to where I was before. See, it's not that Jesus is hard to understand. Sometimes he's just hard to accept. So let me ask you sort of a a philosophical question, if that's okay. Um, Do you think, and you you don't have to be a Christian to answer this question. Anybody can have an answer to this question. Uh, Do you think following Jesus is easy or hard? You know, think about it. Really think about it. Is following Jesus, is, is being a disciple... You know, you know, you could say you're a disciple of Jesus. Disciple is just a, a reference to someone who's a student or a pupil, right? So uh, the Pharisees have their own disciples. They say, and we're disciples of Moses. It just means somebody that you learn, you emulate your life after theirs, right? You can be a disciple. Well, is it easy or hard to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus? Is that easy or hard? Well, consider this. In Matthew 11, Jesus says these words. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Anyone here tired or burdened? He says, Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Be a disciple. For I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But then Jesus can also say these same words in the gospel. He can say these, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So is following Jesus easy or is it hard? Well, friends, I think the answer to the question, it all hinges on who you think Jesus is. Maybe I can help you understand it this way. It's easy, it's easy to be a follower, to be a true disciple when you accept that God the Father sent God the Son to bear the punishment of all of our sins. And by God the Holy Spirit, he raised him back from the dead. It's easy to believe when you realize that when Jesus came back from the dead, literally and bodily, he began his process of making all things new. It's easy to believe when you trust that death is not the end of your life, but rather that one day when Jesus returns, the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. It's easy to follow Jesus when you count your life as nothing compared to knowing Jesus, your Savior. It's easy to believe when you realize you don't have to clean yourself up to come to God. You don't have to work your way up to get to the table. But you know that Christ Jesus came into the world to save what? Sinners, of whom I am the foremost. It's easy to believe when you remember that Christ Jesus, while we were still sinners, died for the ungodly. It's easy to believe and be a follower when you remember that we are saved by grace through faith, 
which is a gift from God, not a result of all of our good works, so that nobody can boast. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Easy to believe when you live by faith in God's goodness, and you know that God will never leave you nor forsake you. It's easy to believe when you have eyes to see Him, ears to listen, in a heart that is like moist clay in the hands of a potter. It's hard to believe when you shut your eyes and plug up your ears and your heart is as hard as a rock. It's hard to believe when you call Jesus Lord, Lord, but do not do what he says. It's hard when you're double-minded like a wave on the sea, tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. Hard when you rely on your own understanding and do not trust him with all of your heart. It's hard to be a disciple when you hear Jesus speak and you say, this is just downright offensive. Who can listen to it? And in fact, that's exactly how people hear Jesus in this passage. Look at verse 60 again. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? This is offensive. But Jesus, knowing in himself, because he's God and knows all things, he knew that his disciples were grumbling about this, and so he said, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Now, friends, uh, before we dive further into that passage, I just have to give a quick disclaimer. (laughs) I know this is like super challenging, okay? This is, Jesus is really pushing us in this passage. And um, any suggestion otherwise is just dishonest to the text. This is one of Jesus's hardest sayings. Um, He's going to let a lot of people walk away from him. Uh, But friends, uh, this is the call to be a disciple of Jesus, Um, And I know this is really hard, and it could be very challenging to you if you don't know what you think about Jesus yet. And I just want to go ahead, for your own sake, to acknowledge, friend, that I recognize that I have no right to push you this way. (laughs) I have no right to make you say either you are a follower of Jesus or you are. I don't have any right to say that in and of myself. Uh, But friends, what I want to remind you of is though, on behalf of God, Jesus does have the right to push you this hard. And friends, only Jesus has the right to push any of us this hard. Um, So this is not my personality. I would not say what Jesus is saying, but thank God I'm not your Savior. Jesus is. And Jesus has every right to say, you have to decide who I am, and I determine everything about your life, or I'm going to determine nothing about it. And in fact, Jesus is saying there is a difference between disciples, you know, people who are around Jesus. Maybe they've experienced his power. They think positively of him. Uh, There's a lot of people even today that like Jesus. He's a likable guy. He's cool. He does a lot of nice things for people. But being a true disciple is not just being affiliated loosely with Jesus or, or thinking positively about him. Following Jesus is believing his words following his ways, loving his commandments. Um, It's such a radical change to become a Christian. It's not something your mom and dad can give you. It's not something you're born into. It is such a radical way of reorienting your life that Jesus says it's like being born again. 
It is like being totally reborn for the first time. And he even looks at Nicodemus uh, earlier in the Gospel of John in chapter 3. He talks to a guy who was raised in religion, raised around all of the right rules. And he looks at the guy and he says, what? To enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You've got to start all over from scratch. Because you don't see that everything is all about me. I'm the Messiah. I'm Jesus. And even this religious man struggles to understand what Jesus is saying. And in fact, you know, if you're, if you're struggling to understand what's so hard, um, it, it, there are a lot of hard things that Jesus says. Um, and what's happening in this story is all of these people that seem to be loosely affiliated with Jesus, they have appreciated what Jesus has done. And what is it that Jesus is saying that's so offensive? You know, if you look down in your passage, we don't actually see in verses 60 through 61 in that little section, we don't actually see what he said that is causing such offense, uh, which is why it's important to remember that when you read the Bible, context is king, right? Well, what I mean by that is you have to read a sentence, and then you've got to read the paragraph around the sentence if you want to understand what it means, and then you've got to read the paragraph in relation to the chapter and the chapter to the book, and you see what I'm doing, right? You've got to take it into context. And if you don't do that, you'll end up twisting Scripture. Um, you know, there's this, I don't know if it's true or not, but there's this awesome story about a pastor who wanted to do a building campaign uh, years ago for his church, and he had the team print out this big banner, and it says, all this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. And he put that over their new building, and you know, what he was saying is, you know, God's going to give us this great big building if we just bow down and worship God. But unfortunately, if you know the Bible, uh, does anyone know the context of that sentence? God doesn't say that. Satan says that to Jesus. So it's like, how's that campaign where you quote Satan going? Is that resonating with people? Right? So context is king, right? So what is it in the broader context that Jesus is saying that people are saying, I don't, it's not that I don't understand you, Jesus. I understand what you're saying. I just really hate it right now. So what is it that he's saying? Well, remember that John 6, you know, it's this very long chapter. I mean, goodness, there's 71 verses in this one chapter alone. Well, look at verse 35, and I'll just point out just a few of the things that Jesus says that many of these people are finding so offensive. And, you know, aren't you so glad, though, we don't live in a world where people are easily offended? This would be like a big problem for us if people were easily offended. Well, look at verse 35. The first offensive thing that Jesus says is he says, I am the bread of life. And if you know the Old Testament, you'll know that God refers to himself as what? I am that I am. And so when Jesus starts saying things like, I am the bread of life, I am the door, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, and especially when he says, before Abraham even was, I am, people start to realize Jesus is claiming to be God. So right off the bat, they don't like the way he's talking. And then he even says, I'm the bread of life, which is just a metaphor. What he's saying is, you know, we need bread to stay alive. Jesus is saying, I am the entire source of what's sustaining you. I am the bread of life. Without me, you can't live. And he says, just like in the Old Testament, when God's people were starving in the wilderness and God rained down manna from heaven so that none of you would die, I have come down from heaven and I am going to be what sustains you so that you get to the ultimate promised land, eternal life. 
And then Jesus has the audacity to say, every hunger and thirst you have ever had, whether it was for a father to love you or a spouse to love you or a beautiful mansion or fulfillment or any of this, any of these hungers or thirsts that you have, they're only satisfied in me. Look at verse 35. Whoever comes to me shall never thirst. They shall not hunger. I mean, Jesus is saying all of life is about me. And unless you come to me, you'll always be thirsty, you'll always be hungry, and you'll always be starving, and you'll never enter eternal life apart from me. And then in verse 37, Jesus even pushes it further, and he says, the Father, that is God the Father, (laughs) gives me all these people, and I'm never going to turn them away. I mean, who in the world does Jesus think he is? God's our Savior. God's our Father. Why do we have to come to you? Well, Jesus says God the Father is amassing a people group from every nation, language, and tongue, and they will come to me for salvation. And in Isaiah, it says, and to the Lord, every knee will bow. And if you know the New Testament, Paul says, yeah, and that day will come when every knee bows to King Jesus, because Jesus is Lord. And then in verse 40, he even says more challenging things. In case that wasn't clear, he says, if you want to have eternal life, if you want to be part of his new kingdom when he returns, if you want to be raised on the last day when he comes and makes all things new, there's only one way. In verse 40, he says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And then he goes on and he says, yeah, I'm I'm like the bread. I'm what's keeping you alive. So you better eat my flesh and drink my blood. He says that later down in verses 48 through 51. And of course, it's a metaphor and the people understand it's a metaphor. But it's still, who, who does Jesus think he is to say that he's the source of life? He's the source of everything. I mean, come on, Jesus, that is just downright offensive. Well, how does Jesus respond And I think this is why Jesus is so radically awesome, uh, because he doesn't do what I would do. I would be like, actually, guys, I'm speaking metaphorically, so just ease it back down, keep hanging out for a while, and see what I'm about to do, and then you'll believe. Instead, what Jesus says, look at verse 61, he says, oh, do you, do you, oh, am I offending you right now? Do you take offense at what I'm saying? Well, what then if you were to see me ascending to where I was before? See, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, oh, you think, you think that's hard to believe? Well, what if you were to watch me to ascend back up to heaven? And if you're a student of the Bible, and especially the Gospel of John, you'll know that when Jesus talks about ascending, he doesn't just mean when he goes back up into heaven. In fact, the path to get back to heaven is actually the path down to the cross, where then he's raised and ascended and lifted above all people so that he may draw all people to himself. And he's raised on a cross. And the Messiah, who is the king to end all kings, the way that he'll save us is he'll take the punishment that our sins deserved. He'll fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. He'll be pierced for our transgressions and he'll be crushed for our iniquities. And upon him will be the punishment that brings us peace. And Jesus will be ascended on the cross. He'll be buried for three days. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's kingdom work 
of making all things new begins with Jesus' body. And when Jesus' lungs breathe again, it's proof forever that everything in this created world will be made new. And he will one day wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be no more. And this is why we don't have to fear death because Jesus is alive. And now he has ascended to heaven and pleads on our behalf to God the Father. Jesus says, you're offended by my metaphor? Oh, buddy, what are you going to do when you see the Messiah crucified? And what are you going to do when the Messiah ascends to heaven? If you can't accept this small saying, what are you going to do when you see what I've come to do for you on the cross? And again, like I said, I know that's not how you and I would say this. I can't help but think when I listen to Jesus, sometimes I'm like, I think he would like fail a modern day evangelism course. You know, anyone ever been to an evangelism course? I'm like, this sounds nothing at all like how Jesus talks to people. Jesus is incredibly challenging to them. And the only way that I, the only way I can make sense of this is, um, it's kind of like this. Imagine, this, is a, this isn't true, so just don't get excited and don't email me because this isn't a true story. It's just an illustration. It's a thought experiment. But imagine I were friends with Jeff Bezos, who is the bald man in charge of Amazon. Everybody know Jeff Bezos? Imagine Jeff and I are buddies, and I come up to you and I'm like, hey, how about you, me, and Jeff hang out, and he gives you some business advice for your business. Do you think you would take Jeff Bezos' advice? Do you think Jeff Bezos maybe would say something surprising to you? Do you think he would have some insight into the marketplace that maybe you hadn't thought of? Do you think maybe Jeff Bezos would say something that's kind of surprising, that would be contrary to what you would normally think your business should do? Or think about it this way. Imagine if I were from Nebraska and my friend Warren and I got together, uh, Warren Buffett, and I said, hey, let's talk about your retirement. My buddy Warren has some ideas about what you should do with it. Do you think Warren Buffett would maybe possibly have some surprising, maybe even shocking things to tell you? You may be thinking, okay, Warren, wow, I guess you know some things that I don't and I'm kind of surprised by your advice, but I'm going to take it. Now, imagine this. Imagine I had a friend who was the only morally perfect human of all time, who never lied, who never spoke a word that did not have compassion in it, who never did anything wrong, who always spoke the truth, and he was full of grace and truth. And imagine that morally perfect person spoke to you. Do you think that person may say something surprising or shocking? Do you think he may have a perspective that is different than yours? Friends, on a profound level, that's what Jesus is to you. He is the only morally perfect person. He's the only true human. He is the only one who's truly God and truly man in one person. And he's going to say some things, friends, that are going to be different than how you wished he would have said it. He's going to operate on different rules. But does that say something about Jesus? Or does that say something about you and me? Look at verse 62. Then what are you going to do? when you see who I really am. 
What are you going to do when you see me ascend to heaven? That's not what you or I would have said, but it is what Jesus says. And only Jesus can speak like that. So how are you supposed to become a follower? I mean, this is sort of blowing our minds right now. It's certainly hard for the disciples to understand what all Jesus is saying. And you and I, you know, when you and I read, read the Gospels, we have the benefit. We know the end of the story, right? So when John says, bum, 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 Judas is going to betray him. We're like, duh, I already knew that. But John's audience wouldn't have known that. So that's a big reveal in this story. We know the end of the story. They don't know the end of the story. They don't know in this moment what Jesus is talking about when he says his flesh and his blood. What in the world? We understand those are metaphors for what he does at communion. But they don't get all of that immediately. So how is it that somebody comes to faith? I mean, this is so hard to understand. It's hard for the people in the story. It's hard for people today in 2019 to come to faith in Jesus. So how does it happen? Well, verse 63, Jesus tells us. He says it's the Spirit that gives life. It's the Holy Spirit. The flesh is no help at all. Um, Your flesh, you know, humanity and its weakness, we can't earn our way to God. We can't prove that we're good enough people for God to forgive us. Uh, We can't prove that our good deeds are going to outweigh our bad deeds. Our flesh is not going to help us be made right with God. And our flesh, you know, is also our mind. We're not going to be able to think our way through this. Instead, what coming to Christ, becoming a disciple is, and this is going to be hard if you're a thinking person, what coming to Christ is, it's like you're, you're a sail. You're the sailcloth on a boat. And the Spirit comes along and blows in your sails so that you go where you're supposed to go. And so a Christian is someone who doesn't save themselves. They're not morally upright. Uh, They don't fix themselves. What they are is they respond to the Spirit. Now, of course, that may end up making you quite morally upright and forgiving. But profoundly, a Christian is somebody who responds to the Spirit at work, that wants to follow Jesus. That, yes, I guess in a sense that this is hard, but everything about my life is already hard. Maybe your yoke really is easy. Jesus says, somebody who comes to Christ is somebody who's born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of the Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who gives you life. Of course, verse 64, not everybody responds to the Holy Spirit. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning, there's that great phrase echoing John 1.1 and Genesis 1.1, from the beginning Jesus knew, because he's Lord, who it was that was not going to believe in him and who it was that was going to betray him, knowing, of course, Judas right there is the one who will betray him. Uh, But friends, uh, what, what Jesus is getting at is the Holy Spirit is calling people into a relationship with God. He will wipe away every sin from your life. You will be made new from the inside out. And sure, you're going to struggle with sin for the rest of your life, but God will not count your record of wrongs against you. You're forgiven and you're accepted. And God will only see you as a beloved child. But only people that respond to the Spirit have ears to hear and eyes to see to accept this message. And some people just are never going to do it. That may even count for people in this room right now. But what Jesus says is, it's a response to the Spirit. 
So if you have any, any, if there's any part of you right now that is thinking, I want Jesus. I want a relationship with God. I want to be reconciled with God, my Father. Uh, friends, you didn't come up with that. That is unequivocally the Holy Spirit of God calling you to himself right now. And do not resist the Spirit. Uh, friends, that's the work of the Spirit, is calling you to the Lord. It's not going to be for everybody. Verse 65, and he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. The Father sends the Spirit. Are you going to respond or not? Look at verse 66. You know, we start to see this is, again, remember, I'm, this is a pushy, this is kind of a pushy passage, but that's why I like it is because it's not fuzzy. It's turning things into high def, right? And right there in verse 66, we see that this offensive, this hard teaching of Jesus is so hard for people to accept in verse 66 that many of his quote-unquote disciples turned back. It literally in the Greek, it says they go to the back. It's like they go to the back of the line and then they just keep leaving. They leave him. And as far as we know, these are not people who ever come back. And Jesus um, if you ever question whether or not Jesus was fully human, uh, to me, I hear this cry that Jesus says next as just further evidence that Jesus was a full human. He wasn't like 50% God and 50% man. He was fully God and yet miraculously fully human. I mean, you can hear the emotion in his voice. Um, Jesus is speaking with compassion. He's pleading with these people to come to him. And instead, what happens is the huge majority of them all abandon Jesus. And he's left with only his 12 disciples, his apostles. I mean, think about how discouraging that could be in that moment to watch all of those hundreds of people say, well, Jesus, you're just too offensive for me to accept. And look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked. So Jesus, 67, so Jesus said to the 12, the 12 apostles, do you want to go away as well? And I don't think that's a great translation right there for the question because um, in Greek, it implies that their answer should be no. So probably a better uh, way to translate this, like the NIV does, is they say, he says, you don't want to go away, do you? Jesus is looking at his 12 apostles and saying, you're not going to leave me, are you? You're not going to walk away? And here, friend, we start to see that high-def difference between somebody who's just sort of vaguely associated with Jesus and somebody who is a true disciple of Jesus. Look at how Simon Peter answers him in verse 68. Simon Peter answered Jesus, Lord, <laughs> to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And I love that answer so much. First off, I love that opening question. Who else talks like this? Jesus, you just fed 5,000 people. If I find another dude who can do that, maybe I'll listen to him. But where else am I going to turn? I mean, nobody talks like Jesus. Nobody. There's nobody like him. I don't have a category. Where else could we go, Jesus? And then he says these words, you have the words, the message, the promise of eternal life. <laughs> That's what I want, Jesus. I want to live with you. I don't want to live forever. Where else am I going to go to get that kind of promise? And then in 69, he says, we have believed. And when he says that word believed and have come to know, what it, it, it refers to is a decision made in the past 
with ongoing consequences. He says, I have chosen, I have believed in you. It was a firm decision in my mind. And I know that you are God's chosen one. You are the Holy One of God. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And I am sticking with you. And what I love about that is in 69, if you look at that, Peter does not say, I get everything you're... These people, they're just knuckleheads. Everyone else is dumb. They don't understand metaphor. They don't get what's going on. I get what you're doing here, Jesus. It's not at all what Peter says. What Peter says is, I don't understand half the things you just told us. I don't know if I'm grasping it all. But I do know that I can trust you. And I know who you are. And I have believed in you. You know, this is, you know, kind of like what it means to have faith, right? We don't always know what Jesus is going to do next. We don't always like what he has to say. Anyone here ever been offended by something that Jesus has said? If you haven't been offended yet, maybe you're not really listening close enough because the dude doesn't mince words very often. But being a disciple doesn't mean you always like it. What it means is you trust Jesus, not your pastor or your parents or your mom or your friends. You trust Jesus. That's faith. You know, what this remind, when Peter says this, you know, it reminds me of, you know, I think what Jesus is trying to get at is what we do a lot with, you know, our loved ones or our friends. I mean, so, you know, think about it this way. You know, if you're, if you're a parent and you tell your child to do something, um, often you'll, be, you'll say something like this. You'll say like, princess, I need you to clean your room, right? And, you know, if you're a good parent and you've read all the good parenting books, so you know about positive reinforcement and explanations and all that good parenting stuff, you know, if you're a good parent, often you'd be like, princess, I need you to clean your room because friends are coming over and there are mice scampering all over the floor, Right? That's why, honey, this is my explanation for why I'm asking you to do this, right? And of course, maybe you have to do that with your spouse, right? Anyone? No one? No. Oftentimes, you'll be like, honey, I told you to take the trash out because there's a raccoon living in it, right? We understand people want reasons. And most of the time, it is totally okay. It's probably good to give a reason, But every now and then, right, every now and then, you'll tell your kids or your spouse or your friend to do something, and you don't want to tell them why, and you'll say what? Just do it because I told you to do it. the, The nature of our relationship should be, if I tell you to do something, there should be some modicum of trust between us. That even if you don't understand in this exact moment, you can say, okay, honey, I trust you. I will do it. Um, Wives, you got to help me out. You've never thought that for your husbands? You've never (laughs) once in your life just said, just obey for once in your life. Don't make me explain to you why we have to clean the dishes again. Just trust me, honey. Friends, there are a lot a lot of answers in the Bible for a lot of your questions. There is a lot of beautiful theology and doctrine and truths in Scripture. And so if God is doing something in your life, or there are things that Jesus says that you don't really understand, or maybe you don't even like, there are things you don't like, 
What if there's a modicum of trust between you and Jesus where you could say, I'm just going to obey because I trust you. I trust you. What else am I going to do? You're the Holy One of God. See, friends, that's what it means to be a disciple. That's what Peter says. Lord, to whom shall we go? I I have come to know and to believe that you really are come from God. Do I understand everything you just said? Do I understand everything you're doing? No, but I trust in the midst of anything. I know who you are. So let me just finish with this. You know, is it, is it easy or hard to be a disciple? <laughs> is it easy or hard? Well, friends, um, it seems like a paradox, uh, but it's the gospel truth. Who you think Jesus is determines whether it's easy or hard. If you trust Jesus, if you believe in him, his yoke is easy. <laughs> it all makes sense. It's about trusting the Lord. But if you don't believe in Jesus, it'll be incredibly difficult, impossible even. But let me finish with this word of encouragement. Uh, Friend, if there's any part of you at all that wants to be made right with God, to be made new, to become a Christian, let me finish with this promise from Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, that's an invitation to become a disciple and to love it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son uh, not only to die for our sins, but to make all things new. And Lord, we pray that that work would even begin today, that you would call all people to yourself And Lord, I pray that there would be no one in this room who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. Jesus, you say in your word that narrow is the gate. But Jesus, open it wide this morning, even here. Amen.